You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have an interesting podcast because we're going north, and then we're going east, and more north, and more east, and more north, and then more east east until we hit Nova Scotia. Now, I've never been to Nova Scotia, but today's guest tells me that there's white-tailed deer there, and he is an avid hunter. He's a passionate hunter, and so today's topic uh, is... Nova Scotia, and it's, it's basically a hunter profile. It's it's a a landscape profile. Uh, his name is Bradley O'Neill. He lives and hunts in Nova Scotia, and he listens to the podcast. Uh, so everything that I talk about is kind of far and wide reaching at this point. Um, this is I don't do very many um, interviews from Canada. I've done one from. Africa. I've done one from England and then a handful from Canada, but most of the content that we, uh, we put out is, uh, you know, lower 48 based. And I'll tell you right now that it, this was a unique conversation because I, I love to hear how other people do it in different ecosystems. And for those of you who don't know, Nova Scotia is almost like an, a big island off the on the east side of Canada, and this uh, I don't know what they call it. They don't I don't know if they necessarily call it a state. They call it something different up there. But uh, long story short, it is one of those things where um, completely different terrain. Right, it's surrounded by. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's considered an island almost. It is surrounded by water on all sides. They have everything from rocky uh, granite terrain all the way to in the central part. They have an agriculture uh, valley or area there where um, just like in a lot of states, that's where the big bucks are at. And so he talks about where he lives, what he does for a living, the terrain, the landscape, the quality of deer, where the big bucks are, how he hunts, all that stuff. And it's just, it's just a cool podcast about 
how somebody else does it in a different area hunting the same animal in a way. So uh, I like these conversations. I, uh, I I hope you guys enjoy them as well. Just just something a little different that I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, and that's what we're that's what we're talking about today. So before we get into the episode, I just want to send a huge shout out to some of the partners of the podcast. We have Tethered. Uh, if you guys are looking to get into saddle hunting uh, and you want to have a very high quality product, you got to check out Tethered. We, they they offer climbing sticks. They offer the platform. That obviously offer the saddle and all the accessories you need. And they have tons of content on their website and uh, their social media and their YouTube channel that will help educate you to becoming a better saddle hunter, how to properly use their equipment. So go check out Tethered. Next, we have Wasp. If you're looking for a broadhead that is that is designed and th- that is very well designed, and has the best material possible to construct it, you got to go check out Wasp. I've been using Wasp for about like 15 years now, and I've killed tons of deer with Wasp broadheads. And so it's one of those products that I'm very confident in and I continue to use. Uh, WaspArchery.com, they have mechanicals. I recommend the Jackhammer. They also have fixed blades. I recommend the Boss 4-blade. And then um, if you want a discount code, what's the discount code here? NFC20 for 20% off. Get them while they're hot. So uh, wasparchery.com. Hunt stand. Uh, if you're if you want to take the next step and really get to know the terrain and the land that you hunt, and there's only one way really to do that, and that's to journal and document all your findings, um, where where the deer are at, where the scrapes are at, where the rubs are at, where the pinch points are at. Um, look at topographic maps, uh, manage your, your trail camera data, um, where your tree stands are at, wind direction, weather, all, like everything that you need as a deer hunter is in hunt stand. And uh, so it's a one-stop shop for just about Everything that you think about, you need to know, and how you journal and, and document data um, to becoming a better deer hunter. Uh, so go, it's the most popular hunting app for a reason, huntstand.com. Go check out all the functionality uh, that this that this app has. Strongly suggest it. And then last but definitely not least, huge shout out to the whole crew there at Vortex Optics. These guys put out top tier optics, binoculars, spotting scopes, range finders, rifle scopes, red dots, you name it, they have it. And the best part about this is that they have a, um, a VIP warranty. And this is what really makes the, this is the cherry on top. You break it, a bear eats it, uh, your son drops it, your kids smash it, your wife backs over it whatever you put it in a box you send it in they fix it or replace it for free and then they send it back to you and that right there is top tier customer service they want a lifelong customer and so they have their entire business model set up to to achieve that so uh, vortexoptics.com go check them out uh and that's it so huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day do me a big favor 
go leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. And uh, I would really appreciate that. That just lets other people know that you enjoy this podcast and that the quality of this podcast is top tier. And uh, um, the Sportsman's Empire is also top tier as far as the quality of the audio and the quality of the content coming out of it. So Nine Finger Chronicles, Sportsman's Empire, badass content. Go leave a five-star review, follow on Instagram, follow on Facebook, follow on Go Wild. And uh, I think we're going to get right into the episode right now with Bradley O'Neill from Nova Scotia. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Bradley O'Neill. Bradley, how we doing, man? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. All right, so we're just gonna get th- we're just gonna get this right out of the way. Um, you are from Nova Scotia, okay? Yeah, that's right. And you are the first person that I've ever interviewed from Nova Scotia, as far as uh, hunting is concerned. I've interviewed guys from that hunt in Quebec and Ontario, and definitely Sus- Alberta and Saskatchewan. But this is a first, and um, I, I feel like, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't know how much you've traveled into Canada throughout your life, but uh, I, I take it the environment of Nova Scotia is a lot different than the rest of Canada as far as, like, the interior is concerned. Uh, yeah, definitely. We're, uh, well, it's all coastal here for the most part. Yeah, yeah. It can be pretty, pretty rocky, pretty... I guess it's kind of all over the place, really. Yeah, it's uh pretty rocky. We got you know the big woods, the mountains. It's it's pretty cool. All right, so we're gonna get into all of that here in a little bit. But before we get into the rest of the episode today, why don't you tell us what you do for a living? Uh, so right now I'm working in construction. I do restoration work. Gotcha. Um, basically, um, my company's hired by insurance companies, and we come in and clean up floods and fire wind damage and all kinds of stuff gotcha okay um so i i used to work for a company that did restoration work but they had three specialties it was mold removal so like in the in the case of a flood or like a a basement that got had too much water and they wanted to fix it up mold um meth labs so if there was a meth lab that needed to be cleaned up they would do that i never got into the meth lab and the other one um and the other one was suicides uh or murder murder scenes where there you know like a horrific you know murder happened or a dead body was found and it was all basically rotten and things like that the, the company that i worked for would go in and and do that do you do any of the the meth or death I no, we haven't had to do any of that stuff yet. I mean, I'm certain there's definitely people here who do, yeah. but uh, no, I haven't had the opportunity, I guess, to do any of that stuff. And I know this sounds kind of insensitive, but like, imagine walking into a house and having to meticulously clean it after some dude decided to blow his brains out. Like, no, I don't, I, I don't, even. I don't know if I could do that. No, I couldn't even imagine. My wife's a paramedic, and just the story she tells me is no beyond anything I could ever do. Yeah, that's nuts. However, my one of my good friends, his one of his good friends, um, found this truck on Craigslist or something like that, and it was a almost like a brand new truck, and 
um, he's like, well, why is this so cheap? And the guy said, well, um, the previous owner shot himself in it. And so the, uh, that guy, the, that guy was like, all right, that's a deal. I'll take it. And and so he, <laughs> he went in and he had to, he, he picked up all, and it, by that time, I mean, it was well soaked in to everything. So he knew, kind of knew how to like clean up messes like that, I guess. I don't know if necessarily like human body, but he went in, he cleaned it up and he, it was just like new. And so he got a, he got a, like a damn near a brand new truck for a really, really good price. All he had to do was clean out the inside of it after that. So, um, you know, kudos to the people that can do that. I don't know if I could or not. Yeah, that's, I can, you know, I'll go shoulder deep in the deer, but nope, that's, <laughs> that's a no-go for me. Right. I'll go, I, I will go shoulder deep into a deer, but probably not after the deer has been sitting there for three weeks. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So, all right, let's, let's talk about Nova Scotia. Because and it, it's crazy. What this just reaffirms is that whitetails can damn near live anywhere, right? And so, yeah. and so, let's talk a little bit about Nova Scotia as far as the environment is concerned. Um, walk us through from a weather temperature, um, uh, you know, weather standpoint, a year in Nova Scotia. Oh man, it's it's crazy. It it fluctuates and it's different every year. It's, I mean, sometimes September it'll be you know hotter than it was in August, July, and sometimes it'll be colder than it is in January. So it's kind of hard to hard to really judge what the weather's going to do. But this year has been one of the hotter, drier years for a while. So I'm just trying to think of the conversion from Celsius to Fahrenheit. But I think like most of our July, August was upwards to the hundreds, or if not more. So oh, really? Super, yes, everything's super dry here right now. and uh, But in the winter, like I want to say, on average is negative 10 Celsius. I'm not quite sure how cold that would be. That's about that's about uh, 20, 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, so that's like, that's a that's a good day in, you know, January, February here sometimes. Okay. And so... Even worse, but... I, I take it a lot of your weather is affected by the the water surrounding Nova Scotia, the Atlantic Ocean, the the, yep. the Bay of what's it called, the Bay of Fundy. The Bay of Fundy, yeah. yeah. So I mean, the Bay of Fundy has the highest tides in the world, which is pretty crazy. The tides can drop upwards to you know thirty, thirty two, thirty six feet in some places, and and fast within a matter of like six hours. So it's pretty cool to see that and. You know, we see deer walking the beaches, the mud flats, and stuff like that. And coyotes actually will trap the deer at low tide on oh. the beaches. So they they're so smart enough to let the deer kind of naturally progress into the the tide the tidal plains, and then yeah. surround them. And then when they try to leave, basically they're forced to run into the woods where they'll get them. Yeah, but, well, actually, sometimes they'll even they'll chase the deer to the water. Okay. Sometimes, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. So Man, that's nuts. with like with the I find like the salt air. So where I grew up was in Digby, Nova Scotia, which is three hours from Halifax, where I live now. North or south? Um, uh, the southwest. Southwest. Okay. Yeah. So there's like uh, I grew up in a community. It, they call it Digby Neck. It's just a bunch of small communities, mostly fishing communities and stuff. And it's like a little finger that sticks off of a. Uh, Sticks off of Digby. It's not very. It might be. Geez, I want to say, 
three, four kilometers wide and even less than that in some places. And then it goes down to two small islands. And so where I grew up down there, you get a lot of wind and a lot of fog. Yeah. So, and then, you know, we called it Digby Neck Sunshine because it was foggy just as much as it was sunny, but. Okay. So, um, what are, so do you guys get a lot of snow then in the wintertime? Uh, there's been a few years we got snow. I mean, some winters are worse than others. This last winter was kind of mild. We didn't get a whole lot of snow. Yeah. Uh, there was, I think it was 2014 was the last year we got a good amount of snow. And where I lived at that time, I think we had 14 foot drifts in our driveway. Oh, dang. Dang. Yeah. And so, um, is it, is it even throughout? Cause Nova Scotia, I'm, I'm looking at it on a map here and it kind of runs Southwest to Northeast is yep. kind of what it looks like. Um, it does the weather is weather different on one, like the Atlantic side versus the, um, Bay of Fundy side or the, um, the, whatever waterway that is to the Northeast or, uh, Southwest versus Northeast. Yeah. Sometimes it can vary. I mean, when we get the storms that work the way up the coast, sometimes they'll come up through the Bay of Fundy and they won't hit our Eastern shores. Gotcha. And it'll just affect, you know, our south or southwestern shores. And then sometimes, in the, usually in the summer, you get the storms that come offshore and they'll hit you know, our north, northwestern parts and not the southwest parts. So sometimes gotcha. areas get more snow than others. And they'll, yeah, it basically depends on where you are. Okay. And so it can, it, it, I mean, just like Iowa, I mean, Iowa, uh, it can be anywhere from 100 degrees in the summertime to negative 40 in the wintertime we've had you know those temps just kind of you know yeah. work their way through every once in a while so it's uh it's truly a I'm, but for the most part like an average temp in this in the summertime i know it was hot is it humid is it dry uh it, it goes up and down so much it this summer was extremely humid okay but we had no rain gotcha so or we had very little rain, I should say. Gotcha. But yeah, and I, I've been to Maine before, and you guys are about on the same level as Maine is. And man, I, I look at whenever I mean it, it's been several years since I've been up there, but it was it, we were, went there in the summer, and it was t shorts and t-shirt weather, but it wasn't crazy hot like I, I consider the South crazy hot. Uh, yeah. So you know. I don't know. That's crazy. So you guys, you guys basically get everything. Does it, does it rain a lot there? Uh, some years more than others. I mean, like everywhere else, I guess. But yeah. this year, I want to say the spring was quite rainy and then the summer was super dry. And then typically in the fall, you'll hit like your rainy, your hurricane patch and then into the winter. So it kind of, it fluctuates so much. It's really hard to give you a good a good solid answer on that because yeah. it's just all over the place so long story short you have weather in nova scotia oh yeah yeah time. okay <laughs> yeah um all right so now let's talk about um the the land itself right i mean it's a it's a pretty long i mean it's as big as a state right i mean i'm looking at it yeah, right yep. now i would compare the size of nova scotia to maybe california uh in size maybe a little bit smaller uh, but uh, you know, size and shape. So talk to me, talk to me about the terrain. What's the, what's the terrain like? I, I mean, it, 
So when someone says, hey, what's the terrain like in the United States, right? It, that That's a very long, big question. But I can tell you in the state of Iowa, you know, uh, there's little pieces that are outliers, but for the most part, you're talking about black dirt, fairly flat. Uh, there are some there are some places where there's a little bit more woods and fingers into these agriculture fields, and that pretty much defines Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Define Nova um, Scotia for us. It's it's all over the place as well. So our like our western or south shore, we call it here, is like it's mostly granite rock. Okay. So everything, every growth is like any growth is just pretty much sitting on top of granite. There's not a whole lot of whole lot of soil before you're hitting granite or bedrock. And then as you work into our like our southwestern shores, it gets a little bit more sandy and somewhat clay. And then our northwest is you know you get a lot of clay, some black sand, and then some big rocky terrain. The further up you go into Cape Breton. Okay. And uh, is it flat? I mean, or, or is there, is, are there, is there terrain that's there? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we have a, it's very hilly. It's not a crazy, you know, crazy terrain, obviously Cape Breton, which is pretty cool. So they have the Cape Breton Highlands, which is all, you know, super huge mountains, hills and rolling hills. So here we have a lot of rolling hills and valleys and stuff like that, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's anything crazy. Yeah. It's not like Rocky mountain big, right? No, no. Right, Cape right. Breton is, but not quite, not quite as big. But it is, it is right. a lot more, more hilly, and treacherous there, I guess. Yeah. So, and is there are there whitetails throughout the entire uh, Nova Scotia ecosystem? Yeah, yeah. For the most part, I mean, where I grew up in Digby, there's two islands, and the tide the tide runs there. I want to say probably through the passageways through the island, the tide runs, you know, 16, 17 knot at times. So sometimes you'll see deer actually swimming through there to make it onto the islands. And from what I hear, the population of the deer on the islands is actually increasing, which is pretty cool. And then I guess where you hit like the more of the, you know, the agricultural towns. So like when you go a little bit north of Halifax, there's Truro, which is all ag. And then the deer population there is unreal. And then it kind of splits up all over the place. So some areas, you know, there's good deer population. And then some areas, it's a little slower. You see less deer. But when you get into those towns, you know, like Truro and even in the town of Halifax, you see just, I don't know, 150, 160 class deer just strolling down the street like like they're your dog. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So then when it comes to where you where you live and uh and hunt uh what's the deer population so you live in digby right now right no i'm living in halifax right now. okay in halifax all right yeah, yeah. so how far halifax is a fair, fairly large city how far do you have to travel outside uh of town to hunt so right now i'm traveling about an hour okay an hour and what yep. uh what's the terrain like the landscape like where you hunt Right now, where I am is uh, it's crown land, so basically just public land. It's we call, it's crown land we call it, but uh, it's it's kind of rolling hills, and a lot of it is either you know leased out and logged by big companies like Irving and stuff like that, or it's thinned. And then a lot of it where I am right now is you know big thick trees, tall pines, mossy bottoms, swampy, and then 
you work your way into like some nice hardwood ridges and stuff if you can get yourself in the right area. Yeah. So is uh, is it flat? Is there a lot of terrain? Is there hills? Uh, right now it's pretty hilly where I am. It's, gotcha. uh, I'm like, yeah, about an hour outside the city and it's getting into a little bit of the rougher country. Okay. So I think it's like 500, 500 foot above sea level where I am right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you have, um, so here's what I'm, I'm, I'm imagining after what you've said, you have these swampy, wet, low, low ground areas. And then as the elevation picks up, that's when the pine, you know, you start running into the big woods. Is it mostly pine stands or is it hardwoods? Uh, it's a mix. There's a lot of mix. There's some areas where it's, you know, majority hardwood. And then there's some areas where it's like majority, like tall spruce and pine. Or, but gotcha. a lot of it's been, a lot of it's been cut. And, you know, with the guys logging here, they'll kind of skip right through the hardwood stuff and they'll leave it. So that makes a really di- diverse terrain. Like you could be in a big spruce thicket and walk across a few oak trees oh. and then, yeah. Cool. So then, um, what are the deer doing in this environment? Um, like when, when you are, let's just say you go in to scout a place or you go in to, uh, try to find deer, what are they doing? What are they eating? How are they living in these, uh, in these environments? So from like the scouting that I've done in the area, so where I grew up in Digby, there's the odd field edge. And then of course people can bait here. So that makes a big difference. And there's guys that will leave carrots and apples on the ground year round. So that, that really works in their favor. Okay. (laughs) But, uh, so where I am, they seem to travel out of the, like they seem to bet on the edge of the swamps and travel (laughs) into, into those kind of, those ridgy areas where they can eat the acorns and stuff. Yeah. And basically like they'll just chew up low growth. And if they don't eat there, then they're in people's backyards, just eating plants, shrubs, vegetables. Like they'll, they'll pretty much eat whatever they can get here. Yeah. Is this a, is this a heavy populated area by people, uh, that, that you're hunting in? Uh, as far as pressure wise, yeah, everybody from the city, like I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of the people, a majority of the people that live in the city here travel outside of the city, you know, the 30, 40 minutes to an hour, some, some more. So, and where it's crown land, it's at your disposal. So there's people everywhere. Gotcha. And you can bait on, on this public ground. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so. I guess walk us through like what what kind of what's the deer numbers where you hunt? Um, how, like when you go out and and you sit, how many uh, how many deer do you plan on seeing a, a, a night? So it depends on the area. When I was living in Digby, I could see you know five, six, seven, eight does, a couple small bucks here and there most nights. But where I'm at right now, I'll be lucky if I see one or two does and the small buck pass by. Gotcha. And why, what, where's, where's the difference there? What's the difference? Just more pressure, uh, where you're currently living? From what I can figure out, yeah, it's mostly just pressure. So, I mean, as soon as the season opens, you know, the last Friday of October is gun season. And as soon as it opens, the woods are just, they're full all day, every day. So gun season opens up in late October. Do you archery hunt at all? I don't at the moment. You know, okay. I'm looking to get into it, but right. But I so don't. And late October is when the season kicks off for you. Then, 
Usually, yeah. Usually. Now, is this a, a full blown rifle rifle season? So our it's kind of weird. So our archery season starts up. I think it's the second week of September. Okay. And then muzzleloader opens the last Friday of September, and then our rifle season opens the last Friday of October. Gotcha. All right. And so then. Okay, so then, as far as um, the the early season is concerned, can you can you archery hunt throughout that entire time? Like, if you buy an archery tag, could you start mid September and hunt throughout all of the seasons? Yep, our okay. archery season runs into the first. I think it's the first minded Monday or Friday of September or December. I mean, so it runs a week longer than the rifle season. So it starts a month before and runs a week longer. But yeah. you can hunt an archery the whole way through. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so then, your your gun season kicks off in late October. How long does that run? Uh, it's usually the last. I want to say the last Friday of November or first Monday of December. Okay. And then, so then, so you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, roughly seven to eight weeks of, of rifle hunting that you have at your disposal? Roughly, yeah. Roughly, okay. Um, and then, so what's the, when's your rut? Uh, it's a little different every year. I find it kicks off good about come that second, third week of November. Okay. But some years lately, it's been almost the last week of November into December. Okay. Um, and then is there, and you kind of already mentioned that there's people everywhere, but when it's time for you to go into the woods and, and start hunting, are you fighting a lot of other uh, hunters? Is there a lot of hunting pressure in the areas that you hunt? Yeah. I'll see, you know, somebody's vehicle parked on the side of the road every 500 yards at, at, like at most, there's some of the guys that are only, you know, a hundred to, if that meters apart it's it gets pretty tight in there gotcha and and so when you throw baiting on top of that how do how do you how do people go out and like pick their areas because if i I don't know like imagine i'm just trying to imagine in the scenario public land scenarios that i've hunted before where let's say a guy let's say a guy buys 100 pounds of corn dumps it but it's on public land he leaves and then he comes back and someone's hunting over top of it right is that frowned upon how how, how do you hunt on public land and bait at the same time yeah people people actually will throw a huge fit over that people don't even like you hunting close to them yeah <laughs> like i've there's i've got stories upon stories of just running into guys in the woods or you know coming in to sit my stand and there's somebody already sitting in it and just just crazy stuff like that but they'll they'll either force you out or some instances will come and hunt over your bait. Yeah. It's, uh, but, you know, they just walk in and dump a bag of apples wherever they want and sit on it. Yeah. That's pretty much how it goes, yeah. And so does that work? Uh, yeah. I know it there does. It seems to. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And you bait as well? Uh, I did until a few years ago when I got more into the spot and stock and the still hunting. Okay. And a little bit of calling. But, yeah, it makes it a little more interesting that way. Gotcha. Uh, and so from, you know, back when you were baiting, then talk to me about like the, how, what the strategy is, because like the way I look at it is a bait station or a food plot 
is good because it's always there. The deer get used to it and they know to come to it. But if you're just going out into the woods and dumping a bucket of apples uh, um, and, and expecting deer to show up to it the first night, my gut tells me it's not, it doesn't work like that. No, not typically. I mean, what I used to do was find a heavy trail and then I'd put the apples, I don't know, 10, 20 feet off the trail. Yeah. So I wasn't disrupting that trail. But, uh, you know, and even then, it'd be a week or so before he seen a deer. Yeah. I got yeah. you. So it, it took time for them to, to find the food, the, the bait, the bait source. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. But okay. then once you're there and established, if you're going to hunt that same spot next year, the deer already know the apples are going to be there. And, you know, most cases you'll see them coming back and digging the snow, looking for them in the winter or some guys even leave bait out all winter. Gotcha. And that's legal. You can, you can go and, and bait a site as many times as you want, even during the off season. Yeah, as far as I know, I haven't heard of anybody really getting in trouble for it. Okay, all right, all right. So uh, you don't do that anymore. You you say you take the the still hunting approach. So when you hit the woods, then uh, and it's time for you to go hunting. No baiting now. How do you like walk me through a typical evening? Uh, or morning hunt, or however you, you know, whatever you do it, doing the method that you do? Yeah, for sure. So basically, you know, I've usually looked at the area before, you know, did the e-scout and Google Maps, seen wherever, you know, I could easy access because I don't really have, I drive an SUV, so I can't get into some of those deeper, crazier places. So I'll just look to something that's not too far off the road or anything like that, which I find helps because a lot of the hunters like to go, you know, deep in the woods. Right. And then basically, you know, the day before or a week before, I'll take a drive back, back the road and see where all the hunters are. Gotcha. And then, you know, mark the spots where the vehicles are and stuff like that. And then the day I want to go in, I'll just try to sneak in between them. You know, hopefully I don't walk across somebody's bait, but it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's public land. And I'll like for me, I can tell you that I've been walked in on 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 numerous occasions where I've been in my, in my tree stand or I've been on the ground, whether it's turkey hunting or, uh, or whitetail hunting and guys have come up and interrupted me. Some guys would see me turn around and walk away. Some guys didn't give a shit and they would walk, you know, they'd walk right by me going to whatever spot they had in, in mind. And at the same time, I've done the same thing that, that on their end, like usually if I would see a guy, I would, um, uh, try to loop around or avoid that location as not to disturb them. But if I already had a tree stand up in the woods, or if I had a spot in mind picked out, you know, I'm, I'm walking 80 yards from their tree stand and you know, you can't really avoid it in certain scenarios. Uh, does that, does that make it tough? It can. Yeah. I mean, there's some guys who I've had instances where they drove their four wheelers right under my tree stands. Yeah. And, and then they, I've they had, do that on purpose. Some will. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's guys, I mean, I've had, I built a, a, a tree stand with my grandfather when I was younger and, uh, I had someone cut that tree down actually with the stand in it. So, damn. Well, this just goes to show you that there's assholes everywhere. Not even, not just oh, yeah. in the United States, but also in, in <laughs> Canada. Uh, yeah. So, um, so, like, what do you consider success then uh, up there in a given year? What's your goal? What do you consider success? 
for me is just putting meat in the freezer. Like I know guys who shoot big deer, like just massive bucks every year, but uh, they have their own land, their their camp. They go with their family, and they they get those deer every year. But for me, it's as long as I can, you know, put meat in the freezer, whether it's a doe or a small buck, then you know it's successful. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and so the goal is to fill the freezer then. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, gotcha. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, everybody wants to know what kind of bucks are running around. You said that in the city limits of, uh, Halifax, you know, just like, you know, in, in some of the, the, the urban areas in the United States, in the, the, I guess you'd call them suburbs, these buck, these suburb bucks can get pretty big just because nobody hunts them. Um, but where you hunt, like what, what's a, what's a good representation of a buck where you hunt i want to say the average you know the average big buck you'd see is probably you know one 120 to 130 okay and so that's pretty good um that is that's pretty good considering the fact that it seems to be a a big wood scenario right um it seems to be a, a heavy pressured scenario there's there's guys that I've interviewed on this podcast who the the word or the the uh, the number 130 would be a slammer of a trophy in their area yeah. right if they shot a 130 the whole town would know about it type of deal and so and so for you to say you know 1 120 130 man that seems to me like that's a a pretty good area you got up there yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, there's guys who are up here knocking, you know, one eighties, like yeah. non typical just monsters. And then there's, you know, some areas where guys are only shooting spikes and, you know, little forkies. So Yeah. Our, it, it kind of varies to the area as well. Yeah. And so uh you mentioned there's there's that egg ground. Is that is the private egg ground where most of the big deer are coming from? That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get in the deep woods and the backwoods and you find the big guys. I mean, I've had pretty good luck finding big bucks, just not killing them. Right. Okay. Um, and so do you run trail cameras? Yeah, I, I try. I mean, it's hard. I've just bought, you know, I bought a spy point a couple of years ago, so that's helped. Yeah. But you know, before then I just, you know, had an old Browning that my father gave me that I check once a week. Gotcha. And so is there proof on that, on the trail cameras that you like pictures throughout the years that you've used trail cameras that the, there there's big dogs in the area? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got some, some pictures of some nice deer, you know, and the thing here is the second you can't tell anybody the second no. that somebody knows they're moving in on you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to keep it, you got to keep it quiet if you do get one. Yeah. I usually, I'll usually, you know, I won't show anybody trail cam photos until after the season. Yeah. Okay. And it's usually just buddies. So. Yeah. How many how many days a year do you dedicate towards hunting? So last year I took off four days. Four days. That's it. Yep. And so yep, you hunt the whole season. That, that's the whole season. Um, yeah. So that's crazy because the guys who I've interviewed, like most guys who I interview on the on this podcast, they they hunt a lot. I mean, they hunt more than the average guy, I would say. If, if you've been interviewed on my podcast, you put a lot of time and energy into hunting. Why only four days last year? Uh, well, mostly just work. I work seven to five most days. And then, you know, so it's dark here by five o'clock come October. Yeah. So typically, 
you know, I gotta do what I can to, to work as much as I can just to get some time off. And sometimes it's difficult, but you know, I always try to make sure I get at least five days. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, do you like, okay. So four days last year, um, like what was, did you know you were going to put four days in? Did you find success in the, in that four days? How did you determine that four was the, the number? So basically it's just as much, you know, how many hours I had saved up of vacation time and vacation pay that I could, you know, swing taking off before I felt it, I guess I could say. Yeah. Okay. And did you find success last year? I did. I, uh, I shot, you know, just a little, a little three point. I mean, he weighed a little over 200 pounds, but just a small three point. I shot him on a piece of land. My buddy tipped me off on just walking across the trail. Gotcha. And you were still hunting at that, at that point. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool, man. Um, so other than whitetail, uh, is there moose and bear up there as well? So we have some mainland moose. They're actually illegal to hunt here. They're, uh, they're on the extinction list, the mainland moose. And then as you work up into the Cape Breton islands, you get moose, but there's a draw every year for those. So you put in for your draw and they only give out so many tags per year. Gotcha. And uh, then there's just, you know, lots of black bear, coyotes. That's pretty much it, really. Gotcha. Birds, of course, yeah. But, so do you bear hunt or moose hunt at all? Uh, I haven't gotten lucky enough to get a moose tag yet, so I haven't had a chance to go moose hunting. But, you know, my father and my grandfather have all, have all done it. And uh, as far as black bear goes, I usually, if one starts showing up in the areas that I hunt, I'd buy a tag. And then, you know, I see a bear, then I'm bear hunting and, same as like coyotes if i hear a coyote yip in the distance and i'm pulling up the coyote calls and my deer hunt turns into a coyote hunt gotcha and 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 that's by choice right you yep okay got you uh let's talk about um the tradition is so when i talk about tradition then i talk about states like wisconsin right um states like michigan where like there was there's no school on opening day of gun season right the 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 whole community supported it. Um, those are two states that that come to mind that have a very steep and thick hunting tradition, uh, in, in just ingrained in, in their culture. Uh, what's the what's the hunting culture or uh, tradition like in Nova Scotia? Um, well, as far as like you know the no school stuff, I mean there was always no school for me, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh... Now, as far as I remember, I never really heard of anything like that. But you get the guys who do the deer camps with their family, and then you have you know, the family traditions mostly. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, so Iowa has a little bit of that, but I wouldn't say Iowa is overwhelmingly uh, has a tradition of deer hunting, right? We we just happen to have the biggest deer in the country, uh, the be, you know, some of the best deer hunting in, in the country. Um, other than, other than that, do you guys have turkeys up there? No, we don't actually. No turkeys. I wish. No, yeah. I wish though. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, just, so four days, obviously, I mean, for me, I mean, I hunt way more than four days every single year. Um, do you wish you were hunting more? Are you taking any any steps throughout your like in your life decisions to try to get out and hunt more than what you 
you did last year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I could hunt every day, I would. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, so like I switched jobs here, I want to say in the winter or early spring and, uh, you know, a little less hours and so I'm working seven to three now. It's a little more lenient. I can have that, especially early season. You know, it's not dark until eight o'clock. So I have those extra few hours every day that I might be able to slip out or get off early and slip out. Gotcha. Do you have a, a wife or any children? Yeah, I have a, I have a fiance. Okay. And uh, we have a, a baby due in October, and I have a five year old back in Dickey. Oh, okay. So you are uh, you you you're living the dad life, so to speak. Yep. Gotcha. Oh yeah. Which yeah. you know, once you, once you get into dad life, um, that throws a a little bit of a wrench into the the hunting plans as well. Yeah, yeah, it definitely takes a little bit of effect on it. Yeah. Um, so some guys will talk about the places that they hunt and, and say, Oh man, I wish this was different or I wish this was different or I hate this aspect or, or they say, I, I love it. Um, in Nova Scotia, do you think there is plenty of access for people to go hunting and, and, uh, is there a lot of access to ground? Um, is the, the, would you consider the deer overall deer herd good? Um, like, like where would you rank it on a scale of one to 10? Uh, from personal experience, I'd have to rank it, you know, probably a six or a seven. I mean, some guys have that, I mean, that nine or 10 because they get the, the private land and they're yeah. in one of those prime, you know, those ag areas, those prime areas. But, uh, from what I can see, you know, public land, we have a lot of land, we have a lot of untouched land. So as far as public land goes, there's a lot and there's, it seems to me, you know, I don't hear of a whole lot of young people getting into hunting now, which is kind of sad to say, but yeah. I guess, I mean, our courses are full all the time, but we only have room for, you know, 20 or 30 guys in a course at most. So you mean, you're talking about the, the, uh, hunter safety courses. Yeah, we have to, so we have to take a firearms test. Okay. And then once we have our firearms license for our rifles, so we have our non-restricted and our restricted. So non-restricted is, you know, rifles, shotguns, and then restricted is handguns. Okay. So so with non-restricted, you, you know, you can take your license and then you can go in and take your, your hunter safety course. So you can take your hunter safety when you're 12. You can small game hunt at 12 and you can big game hunt at 16. Okay. But I think you have to have a legal guardian until you're 18. Really? So yep. a seven, a sixteen and seventeen year old couldn't go out by themselves, out into the woods and hunt. Technically, no. Oh dang, that's crazy, huh? Yeah, um, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty strict here. Yeah. So, what about archery? Is that can can you hunt earlier if it's an archery only, like so, archery tag? I haven't heard like uh, anything about age. I guess I haven't really asked either because I don't archery hunt. But as far as I'm aware, like there's just you know you go get your archery course. Yep. And then you can same thing. You set your archery course, and then your hunter safety course, and then you can you can bow hunt. Oh, well, and crossbow good. has a separate course as well. And, but crossbows are legal up there. Yep. Are they considered archery equipment? Um, they're considered, yeah, somewhat. They're under our archery muzzleloader tags. So gotcha. All right. Uh, and so, how long does your season run then? Uh, September first or September sometime, and then into when? So if you if you like if you hunt archery, you know crossbow, even muzzleloader, it's this middle of September until that second. I want to say second or 
first Friday of December. I think it's the first Friday of December. Okay. And then all hunting is done after that. Yeah. Well, you can actually coyote hunt. So there's no, you know, no bag limit, no real stipulation on coyotes. I mean, we have a pretty heavy coyote population and they're, they're big, big coyotes. I mean, we've seen them as big as 85 pounds. So dang, that's a, that's a big coyote. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're Eastern coyotes or they call them the coy wolves. I mean, you've probably heard some, some stories about coy, coy wolves or have heard of them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they get German shepherd, you know, husky sized coyotes. Dang. Yeah. Uh, and an 85-pound coyote can definitely run down a small deer. Oh, definitely, yep. Wow, that's cool, man. Uh, any other interesting facts about Nova Scotia uh, or the the hunting life there? So it's, I mean, it's pretty cool, I guess. You know, you think of like a small area like this, and then your deer population is just immersed. It's pretty the, the way it varies is pretty neat. I find it's, you know, you could drive, be in one area, you know, and you might not see two or three deer a year, and then you go 20 minutes down the road, and you're going to count, like, 20 or 30 deer as you're driving through the town or by the town. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, you know, our rules, I like, I wish they were a little more lenient on the stipulations of hunting, I guess. What so, you, you know, the specific. bag limits, like, we get, we get one deer, so... In most areas, you have to apply for a doe tag. Oh, really? So, so if you, you can get yeah. a buck tag guaranteed, but a doe tag is something different. Yeah, so you have to most uh, – there's some zones, so we're split up into zones, and there's some zones where you have to apply for a doe tag, and you may or may not get it. Okay. And so basically you get your archery tag, or your archery and muzzleloader tag is one tag, and then you have your general season tag. So basically, you know, if I archery hunt and I rifle hunt or – say I just archery hunt, for example, if I shoot a deer in September or if I tag out with my archery tag in September and I want to fill my general tag, I can't hunt again until the end of October. Okay. So I can't shoot two deer in September and be done for the season. I have to wait until that general season opens again and fill my second tag that way. Dang. Well, I, and I'm sure they're they're doing that for a reason, right? I mean, do you feel that the, um, I guess down here we call them the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, do you think that that division of, the Division of Wildlife or whatever has a grasp, a good grasp on the management? Yeah, I think it works. I mean, you get your areas, the areas that you're allowed to shoot does is, I mean, that's because you're seeing 10 to 12 does per one buck basically right like it can get it can get pretty heavy and then in the towns they do they can do some damage so yeah as far as that aspect is good but the uh, i wish yeah i kind of wish we could you know go in with a bow and fill our tags and leave or you know we get a buck and a doe and in that case you know if i shoot a doe i still have the chance to shoot a buck and i'm not done for the year right yeah i feel you cool man um, do you, do you do anything like, uh, off the coast, like any crabbing or, or do anything cool in, in the, the tidal pools? Uh, we, I used to lobster fish a little bit. My, uh, my father's friends, some of them and a couple of family members have lobster boats. Okay. So that's pretty cool. We do some lobster fishing, you know, and anywhere from 60 to 600 feet of water. Nice. So, Nice. Yeah, so that gets pretty cool, and then deep sea fishing. Lots of lots of guys go out and do that. Tuna, swordfish, stuff like that. Yeah. 
so the the show Wicked Tuna on uh, that's got that's up there somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's off of Maine. Maine. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Cool. Well, hey man, I, you know this is uh, you know this ground this this conversation isn't really groundbreaking by any ch- any means, but it's cool to hear um, how it's done other places. And Nova Scotia is one of those places that it, it just it's close to America, but it just seems like it's on the completely other side of the planet when, if you were to ask me about it. So it's cool to hear the similarities and the differences and that white tails have a, a good stronghold there, uh, like they do everywhere else, uh, in North America. So, and, and definitely spreading. Cause I heard a rumor the other day that they're pretty sure that wildlife biologists have seen and documented whitetails in Alaska now. So who knows, man? Who, they're, they're, yeah, that's, they're everywhere. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That, I mean, that'd be good too. I mean, the more the better, right? I guess. I guess as long as they're not pushing out another species or, yeah. uh, you know, like kind of in some places they are doing to mule deer, but oh well. That is is what it is, but hey, dude, I really appreciate you taking time uh, out of your day to to school us on Nova Scotia. Talk to us a little bit about um, what you do and how you do it. And uh, man, I, I hope you connect on a on a good deer this year. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping I can get a a few more extra days in this year. And I appreciate you having me on. It's pretty cool, you know. I listen to your podcast, and it's pretty cool to hear how different the strategies and yeah. even the laws are compared to here and it feels like you said it feels like it's a whole different world especially when it comes to you know the hunting game yeah and it's it's super cool yeah absolutely absolutely well my friend you have a good rest of your day and uh good luck this upcoming season yes thank you you as well huge shout out to bradley hopefully this was uh, an interesting episode hopefully you guys enjoyed it like i said in the intro please go to itunes leave a five-star review Thank you guys for listening today. Uh, huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, and Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, as we start to get into the uh, the the season, no shortcuts, okay? We got to, in order to be successful, we have to hunt hard. We have to hunt safe. We have to hunt smart. So uh, please wear your safety harness. And uh, when life starts to shit on you, send those good vibes out. You'll get those good vibes back. And we'll talk to you next time.